As more and more stories of Russian violence against Ukraine populate the news, it's become easy to adopt an overwhelming anti-Russian sentiment. But generalizing an oppressive government with its citizens can misrepresent the people's true voices. Anton, a former Russian soldier born and raised in Siberia, is emblematic of this. After hearing only one side of the story all his life, it would be easy for him to always believe that Russia was the greatest country in the whole world. But Anton's journey from patriotic soldier to asylum seeker shows that it's always possible to see beyond the majority view. I'm Tai Chu, and this is Listen for a Change, a podcast amplifying the unique stories from the invisible among us. We find the voices you don't often hear, we empower them to heal around their experience using storytelling, and we turn up the volume to open up all of our hearts and minds. This isn't just storytelling, this is an intervention to restore compassion. Anton first told this story at our April 2022 Story Hour. Here now, we walk through it again and go a little bit deeper. I was born and raised in the Western Siberia at the far north. So far north that you can see Aurora Borealis from time to time. Back then, the climate change wasn't raging as severely as today, so the winters would last for seven to eight months, and the temperatures sometimes would drop below negative 45 degrees Celsius. I remember in the early 90s, when I was a kid, we lived next to a kindergarten. The gate to the territory was always open, so for us as kids, it was no problem to go there and play. We mostly had to use our imagination, though, since the playground there was completely broken. Not a single carousel or a teeter-totter was operational, so we were mostly playing with snow. A carcass of an apartment building became an amusement park for us. The construction stopped at some very early stage due to financial crisis. Uh, the territory was abandoned and the fence was falling apart, so it was no problem for us as kids to get there and jump around from one concrete panel to another among the rusty rods of the armature. I remember one time my mom got really furious at me for coming home late. That was a summer with its white nights and simply didn't realize it was nearly midnight because it was still bright outside and I had too much fun at those ruins. In spite of that depressing surrounding, I believed I was born in the best country on the planet. I mean... We were first to launch a man into space, and our country is the biggest in size. It has to mean something. Everyone around is saying that it is the best country, and you know, the majority can be wrong. While being a kid, I never questioned the greatness of Russia. It was a given reality to me. I remember to be particularly excited about underground railway that was supposed to be open in my home city. The construction areas around the future metro stations were surrounded with big concrete fences with giant letter M. To me as a kid, it was just a matter of time when I'd be able to ride a beautiful new train instead of an airless stuffed bus. Needless to say, those stations never opened. 
My parents didn't really have time for me and my sisters, so I found an escape in the home library. I especially loved the sci-fi stories from the Soviet books. Of course, the future there was described as a communist utopia where all the problems in the world have been solved and the humanity lived as one big family. Those stories were very inspiring. I desperately wanted to live in that future. And for me as a kid, those books weren't fiction. They were prophecies. To me, the future described in them was a given. Some of those books mentioned Americans. Back then, I had not encountered any foreigners yet, so the fictional Americans were the only Americans I knew for many years to come. The vision that I got from those old books was that there is that mysterious land overseas, and that land is populated by wicked creatures who were fundamentally evil. It was very bizarre and strange to me as a kid. What have we ever done to you? Why do you hate us so much? That was the vision, and that was the reality for me. I think the first time when that picture in my head cracked happened in 2001. You know how people sometimes say we all remember that what we were doing uh, when 9-11 happened? I do remember what I was doing. I was 13, I still lived in Siberia. I came home from school and it was on TV. One tower had already collapsed, the other one was on fire, and then it collapsed as I watched it. It was like watching a movie because something so terrible can happen only in movies. It was unreal and incomprehensible. But then a thing happened that, to this day, I'm deeply ashamed about. I'm so embarrassed that I've never spoken about it in public until now. The thing is that I thought, oh, nice. Finally, they got what they deserved. And I remember how a few days later, my mom saw a new wallpaper on my computer desktop depicting the moment of a plane colliding with one of the towers. You know, everyone in my class installed those wallpapers to the computers. And back then it felt to me as justice happening. So my mom saw that wallpaper and asked me, why did you put it on your screen? It's a tragedy, but those are Americans. Uh, yes, they are Americans, but they are people. People are dying. It's a tragedy. I think that was a tipping point for me. Until that moment, I didn't think about Americans as human beings because they'd never been presented to me as human beings. And when you never see something, when you have only one side of the story, no matter what story that is, you get a particular image. Maybe some bizarre creatures with dog heads, like some Egyptian gods. Even on that photograph with explosion, you see only building and a fire, a set of objects without people. It doesn't feel fully real until you realize that it's real people burning in that fire. Although I was fairly young, I still can't deal with the feelings about the ideas that were happening in my head back then. Anyway, moving forward, my father was a very conservative person, and he believed that a man isn't really a man if he didn't serve in the military. 
in Russia, every man is supposed to serve a mandatory term in the military unless you have a medical condition or, surprise, surprise, you're gay. That was before I came out uh, even to myself, and I was healthy enough, and my dad called me a coward, so I made one of the biggest mistakes in my life and joined the military at the age of 18. Life in the Marmy is an interesting topic, and it, it kind of deserves uh, the story of its own. I'll just say that it's a very particular place that can be compared only to a prison. You're taking away, isolated from your family and friends, and forced to live a completely different life. On top of that, uh, your officers give you a particular vision of the world outside. And for the entire time, there is no other vision but this one that is available to you. It really affects your perception and your judgment. My turn was supposed to be a year and a half, but after nine months, I signed a contract and turned this into three years. Looking back, it's easy to say that it was a bad decision, but I thought that no one and nothing waits for me back home, so there is no point of coming back. It is important to mention a thing that changed my entire life. After the first month uh, in the army, one of my comrades received a letter from his friends who already served his term. I don't remember much of details from that letter, only that it was very clever and very funny. So funny, it was the first bright light among the dark experience. And although I don't remember much now, but one thing got carved into my brain and it's to this day works as one of the pillars of my moral code. It was a sentence at the very end that was saying, brace yourself, stay strong, watch the people around you and don't bring yourself down to their level. That one sentence divided my life into before and after. I realized that the majority isn't always right and it's okay to think differently. And most importantly, it's not only okay to stand against something that you find unjust. It is your duty. You can't be a bystander when you see that someone else is getting hurt. And you also must stand for yourself. In all three years of my military service, I've seen plenty of very ugly things. I've seen a lot of corruption. Now watching the news, nothing really surprised me, but it was shocking to see it back then. There was one moment when I accidentally became a witness of a crime. My senior officer was framed for something he didn't commit because someone else wanted to get his position. And I just happened to be there at the wrong place at the wrong time and see how the money was planted into his desk. The people who made it happen forgot that I was supposed to sit in the same room. Uh, they couldn't let me ruin their plan, though, by becoming a witness against them. So one day I was called to an FSB office. If you don't know what FSB is, you might heard of it by its former name, KGB, 
It's like FBI, CIA, and all the other American agencies combined into one super agency uh, with practically unlimited power. I wasn't interrogated. Nobody yelled at me. But the officer who talked to me made it very clear that it is in my best interest to stay quiet unless I wanted to be charged with treason. I remember coming out of that office and you know how in movies after an explosion, the character looks around disoriented with ringing in the ears and the world around spinning? That's how I felt at the moment. I was terrified and I felt betrayed. I had so many senior officers around, but not a single one of them would do anything to protect me. Mostly because they all were involved in corruption themselves and could be easily arrested next. So, But that sense of helplessness shattered my world. I no longer sensed any greatness that I was accustomed to. I suddenly realized that our army won't protect the country if something something happens. All those stories about the great past and the great future are no more than just stories or even plain lies. The belief that I was born in the greatest country in the world was almost religious. I didn't have any doubts about it. It was a given thing to me. And although all over the years that faith got multiple cracks, it didn't fully collapse until that FSB officer didn't let me know that the homeland will betray you. Always. After my contract was over, I returned home. I no longer believed in the greatness of Russia, but I still believed it could be rebuilt. Although, over the following few years, I lost my hope even for that. Eventually, I left the country and forgot about my loss and my pain. It would be nice to never remember any of that, but the Russia invaded Ukraine. Appalled by this, I called my relatives in an attempt to do something. What I didn't expect is that they supported that madness, despite having Ukrainian relatives. My mother, the one who told me that Americans are people and no people deserve to suffer. The same mother was a Cray with Ukrainian cities being shelled. I have no words in my vocabulary that could possibly describe my feelings about this. I understand that for many years since I left the parental house, my family have been marinated in the lies of the state propaganda. The propaganda that told them that Ukrainians, the brotherly nation, are not really a nation. They are not even people and they don't deserve to leave. Even knowing that I can't find my feelings or any justification how to continue even to talk to my own family. You know, the story has no ending. It is an ongoing nightmare, the nightmare that I wish I could just wake up from and realize that none of it happened. But it is happening. 
At least I no longer have to worry about losing my religion. Anton, so good to hear from you again. How are you? I'm much better than <laughs> in the few first months uh, when the war began. So yeah. it is a little bit easier today than back then, but it never gets actually easy. Yeah, I I just remember the first time that I heard your story on our stage. It was really, really um, soon after Russia had invaded Ukraine. And there was so much that was still unknown. And there was so much tension and there was so much fear involved. Um, how would you say your your feelings and your processing has evolved in the few months since you've told the story initially back in April, I believe it was? Yeah, I think it was April. Um, I think think the most mm, okay not the most important but uh, the key thing you actually mentioned just yourself uh, a lot of things were unknown when i gave that speech in april back then uh, we still believe that the war will be over relatively soon now it looks like it will be going on for a while unfortunately and I guess kind of like with COVID, we all are learning how to live with that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we still, at least me, I still remind myself constantly that uh, it's, we can't just give up and let the situation be resolved by itself. And we need to keep fighting and need to do something, anything that we can that is in our power, in my power in this particular case. Uh, so I'm still learning how to live with that and how to be helpful in this fight, uh, how to be helpful for people who need that. So I guess me participating in the podcast is one of those things that are in my power. Maybe my story will help someone. Or maybe yeah. it will help to change the mind uh, where, of people here or there because uh, the belief in the greatness of your homeland, I think it's natural. Uh, every nation, every person has it to some degree. And sometimes it can be an uh, obstruction. So I hope this story will help to remove that obstruction and people could see things more objectively, maybe. Well, you certainly were a voice to, I'm sure, many out there. And also for people like myself who had very little familiarity with Russia um, and certainly with growing up in Russia. Um, what I love about your story is you really take us back to when you were a kid and the hopes and dreams and aspirations that you had for your home country and how great you thought it was. Do you remember exactly uh, what your relationship with or your knowledge of Ukraine was when you were growing up? 
You know, do you remember hearing about it, learning about it in school, any feelings that you may have had about the country as you were learning more about what Ukraine was and its relation to Russia? That's a great question. Um, Here's the thing. Although I do have Ukrainian relatives, I've never been formally introduced to them because uh, they lived in Ukraine and uh, I visited Ukraine only twice. Uh, The first time I was an infant, so I don't even remember that. And the second time, uh, as a kid, I visited uh, the resorts in Crimea uh, long before the annexion. So it was fully uh, Ukrainian territory. I remember my biggest problem there was to exchange the currency and uh, calculate uh, prices in my head in the money that I never used before. Uh, But that was an enjoyable experience. I had nothing against Ukraine. Uh, At the same time, I didn't really feel particularly connected to that because, again, I never met my relatives. And um, I guess I never fully shared that notion uh, that uh, we are one country. So uh, visiting Ukraine as a separate country was completely natural to me. Uh, they didn't, I, I haven't met a single bad person uh, during my visit. It was a completely positive experience. And uh, I, when Russia next Crimea, I couldn't understand uh, why people are so happy about that. Uh, it's like they couldn't visit it before. <laughs> so it's very bizarre to me, even today, how... Uh, a thing that was available to everyone uh, made people think that they acquired something, although it's not really the case. I, I think I'm sidetracking from your question. I apologize for that. But I think I answered your question. In your story, you talk a lot about the idea that you had of America. And you talk about how that ended up being a misrepresentation um, really of like the events that you were seeing on the news, specifically 9-11. And I'm just curious to know, what do you, and you live in the U.S. now, I should I should tell our listeners that. What's What are some things that you've learned Americans misunderstand or misrepresent about Russia? Ooh, where do I even begin? Um There are different sides to this question, actually. The most obvious to me, at least, is the representation of Russia in the media. Uh, First of all, movies and TV series. Um, There is this thing that we in Russia call cranberry. It's when Russians are portrayed in movies and TV series as these, you know, villains and it's all exaggerated to a degree and it looks like a caricature. I personally absolutely love it because I find it hilarious. Well, at least I used to find it hilarious long before the war uh, because the war uh, showed that this is not a caricature. It's exaggerated uh, to the comic degree on screen, but uh, it's no longer funny when you realize it's actually true. Um This is the difference on the surface, I would say. The real 
uh, misconception that American thing and never actually talk or think about it is that Russians and Americans as nations are very similar. Unfortunately, on the bad side. At least that was my observation. And uh, I wish both of the nations uh, learned the best parts of each other. And it looks like uh, they're learning only the worst. Um, I think here Americans should stop thinking of Russia as some country far, far away because America is not that different. Americans are not that different. Uh, The difference is obviously there. Otherwise, I wouldn't even live here. But the line that separates them is pretty thin and it is very easy to step over and find yourself on the other side of good and evil, if it makes any sense. So you mentioned in your story that you had a relationship with your mom that had evolved over time and your mom had made some comments recently about the Russian invasion on Ukraine that you disagreed with. How overall has your relationship with your family and your parents changed since the invasion? Because as I think I remember, your whole family is still in Russia, right? Oh, yeah. They're still in Russia and still in Siberia. Um, Before the invasion, I stopped talking to my parents. Well, and they stopped talking to me. uh, But that was caused by their homophobia. Uh, when the invasion happened, I reached them because I wanted to do something, uh, you know, influence the situation somehow. And uh, contacting my relatives was uh, the closest option to me. So I reached them out and tried uh, to reestablish a relationship. My father uh, instantly rejected that. Which, okay. Uh, My mother, though, I thought we reconnected. But um, although I was ready to close my eyes on her homophobia, I just couldn't close my eyes on her views. I don't know. How can you be in contact or any form of relationship with someone who follows fascist ideology? Uh, they might not call it that word, but it is. And uh, I thought that the idea that killing people is bad is fundamental and universal. So if we can't agree on that, what can we agree on? So although I've been trying to find some form of agreement, uh, some common ground for months, Eventually, um, quite recently, I gave up. I just couldn't do that anymore. It was uh, draining me emotionally, uh, causing a lot of stress, and also was leading anywhere or nowhere. So I decided to uh, use my energy or direct my energy and resources into areas that I can do something about, that I can bring some change 
because here I couldn't change anything anymore. So I am still in contact more or less with my siblings, although it's also complicated, uh, but I'm no longer communicating with my parents because of this war. Um, you've left Russia for a few years now, right? How long has it been since you've been away? Oh, it's been five years, over five years now. Are, so now looking back from your time in Russia and now that you live in the U.S., and given everything that's happened since the time that you've left and the reasons why you left, are there any parts of Russia that you still hold near and dear? If so, what are those parts? What about Russia is still special to you? Oh, it's a good question, but a painful one. Um, before the invasion, I was going to at least visit Russia someday. Uh, definitely not moving there ever, but I was definitely going to visit, uh, visit the places, visit maybe friends and relatives that are still dear to me. Uh, but two things happened ever since. The first one was the massacre in Butcher. Uh, that, uh, in my story, I mentioned uh, moments that shattered my world. I didn't realize it can be actually fully shattered until the massacre in Butcher. I, it, I have no words to go into that, and I don't want to get too emotional here. But that was one thing. And uh, another thing, I called my grandmother at my birthday because she uh, every year she wants to wish me happy birthday. And without me even bringing the topic, uh, she started uh, spitting... Um, fascist slurs, basically, uh, towards the Ukrainians. And that broke my heart completely. Uh, my grandmother always provided me unconditional love. And seeing a person who loved me so much, uh, having so much hate, oh, that was absolutely heartbreaking to me. And uh, that's when I decided I'm not ever going back to Russia. Even after this war is over, I just don't feel any connection to that place uh, by any means. And I want to be as far as possible. Okay, Anton, I have to ask you this last question. I know you're a Trekkie, right? Yeah, I am. <laughs> What do you think we can learn from Star Trek? I know this is a very loaded question, but I really want to hear your answer to this. Because Star Trek kind of presents this version of society, right? And I'm sure you've thought about this at depth, but given current politics and global relations, what's one thing that we can all take away from Star Trek now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Okay, let me try at least to keep it short. Uh, Star Trek is a huge subject. I can go on and on. Um, I think the first thing that people need to understand about Star Trek, it's, it's a reflection of our today's life or whenever a particular part of Star Trek was uh, aired on TV. It's changing with our society. So if you watch Star Trek from different eras 
you will see how it reflects not only today's, but also uh, the things that were happening back then. So you can actually see how the humanity was evolving just by watching uh, different Star Trek series. So, <sighs> first thing, obviously, is that in the future, uh, portrayed in Star Trek, uh, humanity lives together. Uh, so Star Trek is a show not about lasers or spaceships. It's about a future where people learned how to live, uh, work, and exist together. Uh, this is, in general, the biggest lesson that you can learn from Star Trek and also how to go to therapy. Uh, Star Trek literally teaches you that. Um, at the same time, if you watch Star Trek carefully enough, even in the future, things are not perfect. There is always space for improvement, uh, development. And the future is not a point in time and space. It's an area. Even when we reach the future, there will still be something for us to do. The world changed just uh, within my lifetime. And before I pass away, it will change dramatically. We just need to work towards a better future. Things should be better each year and not worse. And it is sad to see how things uh, seem to be deteriorating today. But if we lose our hope that it will be better next, it never will. We need to keep our hope and keep working on making the world a better place. All right. Well, thank you again for telling your story, for being vulnerable, and also giving us a factor or two about Star Trek. It makes me want to go and flip on the TV and watch one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. Do you have a favorite uh, Star Trek, I don't know what you call them, iteration? Like oh. show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new uh, Strange New Worlds is absolutely amazing. I highly recommend it. If you've never watched Star Trek, uh, you can start from that. You will definitely be hooked. Uh, as for me, my to-go series is Voyager. Um, I'm not sure why, but I think they found a perfect balance between action-adventure and the morale, like the message in their stories. But I love all of the tracks, uh, no matter what. I love how different they are. And I love how, especially the new track, doesn't get afraid to experiment. I like how they're trying new things. Well, let's go out and watch some Star Trek. Um, Anton, you have chosen a nonprofit to represent and to raise awareness for. Can you tell us a little bit about the nonprofit that you chose, what they do and what their mission is, and how folks can get engaged with the nonprofit? Uh, the nonprofit that I chose is called Nova Ukraine. It's a, an organization that uh, exists in the United States and helps Ukrainians uh, in this crisis and even before this war. 
if you live in America and you want to help, uh, this organization uh, knows uh, where to send money, where it actually needs. So uh, they support uh, just regular people. They support the military. They even support the animals uh, and pets uh, that happen to live uh, in the battlefield. So they organize rescue missions, help with uh, food and supplies. So if you want to help, definitely uh, send money to this organization. They know what to do with that money. And I am grateful to listen for a change that uh, I got introduced to the person who uh, found that organization. Uh, her name is Yulia, and she's absolutely amazing uh, with wonderful personality. Uh, so I didn't know uh, her when I chose this nonprofit, but I am so happy and privileged uh, that I got introduced to her and that I happen to know her. Yes, and I can second that Yulia is incredible and also the organization is, does wonderful, wonderful work as well. So um, folks can find out more information at NovaUkraine.org and you can also follow them on Instagram. Um, we'll also put the link into our little episode description. Um, Anton, thank you once again for sharing your story and thank you for being on our podcast. It was truly an honor to catch up with you again and to hear a little bit more about some of the things around your story and some of the context that we didn't get to hear in your story. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been an honor and a great experience for me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please be sure to check out listenchange.org to learn about our storytelling workshops. And please rate and subscribe, listen for a change wherever you get your podcasts. Our production team for this episode was Tunde Damarin and Momo Kaneda. I'm Tai Chu, and remember, a story untold is simply a thought.